17. Uh, and that's where we're going to be again this morning. You can turn to it. It's page 1184 in your Bibles and keep a finger in it. We'll be back to it soon. This preaching series we're calling Risen with Christ. And as I said this morning, as we're going to be looking all about our identity, being risen with Christ is, to, is, is part of our identity. It's who we are. It's who we are in Jesus. And this preaching series is what we're to do in the light of it. Last week, Matt Painter expertly took us through Colossians 3, verses 5 to 11, which talks all about what we should be putting to death, what we should be taking off. It talked about rage and filthy language and lust and greed. And, and last week's verses and this week's verses are a juxtaposition of one another. That means they kind of mirror one another. They're supposed to go together and sit alongside one another to purposefully contrast one another. So if last week we were looking at all of the things that we should put to death, all of the things we should put off, then this week we're looking at what we should be putting on instead. If last week was all about what we're no longer to live with, the things that we should be consigning to history, then this week is all about the sorts of values and characteristics that mark out the people of God. So, Colossians 3, we're going to be Colossians 3, just verses 12 to 14 today, and let me start reading. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There we are. There's our verses this morning. That's where we're going to be camping out. I want to start with that first line, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Let's start by noticing that word, therefore. Here's a, a little phrase for you to remember. Whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, it's good to ask, your, ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Okay, see what I did there? Paul, Paul makes the point, the point in light of what he's already written, okay? So he's nodding back to the start of Colossians 3, where he told us that we're risen with Christ. That's our permanent identity. So we're being told this morning that we can put all of these things on because of who we are in Jesus. Paul underlines the key point of what we believe about our salvation. Ultimately, that it's all about God. We were chosen by him to be a part of his family. We belong to God. It's, it's an important preaching series for us, this short four-week series we're doing through August, because it cuts to the very heart of who we are as believers, who we are as Christians. We are God's chosen people, risen with Christ. We're speaking about our identity. Paul, uh, as, as, as we said in, in previous weeks, is primarily addressing Christians here. He's primarily talking to the church in Colossae, and he's underlining to the church there that they belong to God. When he used the, the term holy and dearly loved, the irony wouldn't be lost on the early church because that's a covenantal term that was meant for the people of God in the Old Testament. It's a reminder that wouldn't be lost on the early church because most of them were Gentiles and not Jews and wouldn't have automatically have been covered by that people of God moniker in the Old Testament. So it was actually quite a controversial thing to say. He was saying, all of you who previously weren't under the promise of God, now, because of Jesus, you get to inherit that as well. Those promises are for you as well. Those words, holy and dearly loved, was a term reserved for the special relationship that the people of God had with their father. 
And now because of Jesus, both Jew and Gentile were recipients of salvation and the promises that came with them. No matter how controversial, Paul was reminding the early church of their identity, and he's reminding us this morning. So before we go any further, it's something we need to understand again. If, if you're here this morning and would call yourself a believer, then Paul is saying these words over you as well. Paul is saying you were chosen by God. You were saved by his son. You are a member of his family, a child of God. We sang it this morning. Holy and dearly loved and risen with Christ. That's your identity. And if you know Jesus and you call yourself a Christian, then you can say those things about yourself this morning, okay? Isn't that good news? When we come back to worship, come back and remember that. You're a child of God. Those promises are for you this morning. It should cause us to want to worship, okay? So now, we know who we are. Paul's going to tell us what to do in light of it. We know who we are. We know what we're to put to death. Now he's going to tell us what we're to put on instead. So, because of who we are in Jesus, Paul then goes on to say, as a chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. It's nice to see you all scrubbed up very well this morning, by the way. Everyone's looking very good. I wonder how many of you deliberated what to wear when you came to church this morning, went through the wardrobe and thought, uh, laid out three or four options. Uh, I'll I'll tell you what happened in our house this morning. Uh, We got up, got the girls dressed. Evelyn's going through a bit of a phase at the moment where she'll only wear dresses, so that was the first battle of the day. We'd laid out some uh, trousers that obviously weren't good enough, so they went back in, the dress went on. We then went upstairs to clothe ourselves. Again, very good policy. Came downstairs to find Evelyn with a big spoon chucking into a pot of garlic and herb dip, uh, which was then all over the dress that we put on her. So we then were on the third change of the morning before we even got to church. At the very same time, my eldest, Eleanor, decides that the only thing that's suitable for church this morning is a princess dress, obviously. So we have our second argument of the morning about the princess dress. Finally, everybody's in church-appropriate clothing, and off we go. Anybody else sympathize with that, had those similar sort of arguments this morning? That was just, that was just us. Um, but what Paul is talking about this morning isn't about clothing ourselves with our physical clothes. He's, about talk, he's talking about clothing ourselves with some spiritual clothing, okay? This is a, a more of a character wardrobe that, that Paul is outlining for us, something that we should be putting on when we go out of the house. Paul's language holds the greatest key to unlocking these verses for us. And in verse 12, he uses what we call a present imperative, which is a very boring word, but it essentially means that rather than it being something that we are, it's, to be, it's something that we are continue to do, to, to go on doing. So rather than saying, clothe yourselves, what Paul is really saying is, go on clothing yourselves. As in, go on clothing yourselves, keep doing it. It's something that we have to keep doing again and again and again. Speaking about these, these verses, uh, one theologian, Fillmore, puts it this way. This faith isn't passive. We need to express our active faith in the gospel by letting the Holy Spirit clothe us every day in Jesus' way of living. And this makes more sense, doesn't it? Because you and I know that it's incredibly difficult to, to live in a permanent status of compassion and kindness and, and forgiveness and patience and all of those things that Paul's talking about. It's not like when we become Christians, those things are just given to us and that's it. Right, from now on, guys, I am endlessly patient. Don't worry about it. This is, this is just who I am now. No, of course. It's rubbish, isn't it? I've, I've, you know, we're, we're endlessly uh, failing in these things, in being compassionate and being uh, forgive, uh, full of forgiveness and being patient. And what Paul's saying here is you need to go on putting that stuff on every day when you wake up. The same way you'd clothe yourself with physical clothes, you need to clothe yourself with these clothes as well. 
Back when we were younger, we uh, took a family vacation to Florida, and one of my favorite roller coasters that we went on when we were there was called the Rockin' Roller Coaster, and it featured Aerosmith. And I was like, I thought this was a really cool roller coaster, so I bought this T-shirt that, that kind of showed my, my favorite roller coaster. And I loved this T-shirt. And it was one of those T-shirts that, like, the more you wear it, the cooler it gets, and it starts to look a little bit worn, but that's okay, because that kind of goes with the style, and you kind of look really cool. So I was wearing this T-shirt. It was my favorite T-shirt. Um, until you kind of got past the point of no return. So it started with like a little stain that wouldn't quite get out, and then the holes started appearing. There was kind of holes under the armpits, and it eventually got so bad that I had to wear another T-shirt underneath so that you couldn't see my armpits when I was wearing that T-shirt. But I was still determined. This is my favorite T-shirt. I'm wearing it, okay? One day, uh, uh, just before we got married, uh, Mrs. Hobby turned around and said, throw that T-shirt in the bin. I'm fed up with it. It's a rag. I don't want to see it anymore. It needs to be consigned to history. And that is what Paul is telling us this morning as well. Those things that Matt Painter talked about last week, the lust, the anger, the rage, the greed, those things, they need to be consigned to history. Instead, it's time to clothe ourselves with new clothes. We're not who we were anymore. We, our identity has changed. And now that our identity has changed, we need some new clothing to match. Those old clothes, they're unacceptable. If I turned up here this morning to preach in my rock and roller coaster t-shirt with the holes in the armpits, then you wouldn't be very impressed. I need some new clothes that match who I am now, my identity. And that's what Paul is telling us. Uh, do we have any Desert Island Disc fans in? As with, it, as with all the cool kids, I'm a big fan of Radio 4. So Desert Island Disc, so there we go. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite shows to listen to. If you're totally unaware of it, let me explain it very quickly. Uh, celebrities go on to desert island discs, and the premise is they are cast away onto a desert island. And when they're on this desert island, they get to take eight tracks with them, so eight pieces of music. They get to take the Bible, the complete works of Shakespeare, and they get a luxury item as well. So these celebrities come on, and they choose their eight tracks, and they usually explain something about their life and who they are. And they choose these luxury items to take onto the desert island with them. Uh, Ant and Deck went on once, and they decided their luxury item would be a blow-up chair. For some reason, they only took one. There's two of them. Like, they'd have to take turns on the island. Anyway, Barbara Windsor decided the Union Jack would be the thing. If she's stranded on a desert island, the biggest thing that she would want is a Union Jack. John Cleese once famously said that he would like his luxury item to be Michael Palin, but only if he was dead and stuffed. <laughs> so that's him. That's him. Uh, I do want to draw your attention to what Philip Treacy brought with him, though. Philip Treacy is a milliner and a designer. He's very famous. Uh, you know when uh, the celebrities walk down the red carpet and people shout, who are you wearing? Well, Philip Treacy is who they're wearing, okay? Um, and he went on to De Desert Island Discs, and he was asked, what luxury item do you want to take with you when you go onto your island? And he picked his thimble, and he put it this way. He said, when I get up in the morning, I put my thimble on like I put my clothes on. It's like a comfort blanket. So as a result, my finger is now in the shape of a thimble. See, Philip Treacy is a world-famous designer, and he owns that identity as designer, so much so that it's become a part of who he is. When he's getting dressed in the morning, he puts that thimble on his finger the same way he'd put a shirt on his back. He physically puts on something that represents who he is when he wakes up in the morning. So if our identity is risen with Christ, and Paul has told us that, if we're children of God, and that's our identity, we're to clothe ourselves as such. When we wake up in the morning, we make a choice to clothe ourselves with things that represent our new nature, our new identity, our new status. 
It means that we have to make a conscious decision to continue to, to, to keep doing this, to keep clothing ourselves with the things of God. Every morning we wake up and we have to make that decision, clothe ourselves again with the things of God. The same way we choose what to wear up, uh, wear when we wake up in the morning physically, we should be choosing the qualities and values and identities that show us who we are in Jesus, not that of our old earthly identities. And it's not always easy either. The same way that I had argument after argument with my children about what to wear when we came to church. Those stubborn uh, wills kick in and they decide they want to wear the princess dress. And actually, no, we know that's not right. And it's not always easy. We will have these battles from time to time as we try to keep clothing ourselves with the things of God and try to put to death that of which belongs to our old identity. Which is why Paul reminds us it's something we're to continue to do. Go on clothing yourself. It's not just clothe yourself, but go on clothing yourself day after day after day. So if we're to go on clothing ourselves, what are we to go on clothing ourselves with? Well, the very next words uh, bring that to our attention as well. Go on clothing yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Would you say that those things are in your character wardrobe? Are they something that you are regularly clothing yourself in, making purposeful decisions to do? For me, sometimes opening my wardrobe can still be a bit of a reminder of who I was. Uh, when I was younger, I wasn't quite the uh, fuller gentleman that's standing before you now. I was a little bit thinner, and I've still kept some of those clothes uh, in hope that one day I might be able to fit back into them, right? So when I'm going through my wardrobe in the morning, I'm like, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one, rifling through until I find the stuff that actually does fit me. Well, are we hanging on to any of those old clothes that belong to our old identities? Or are we clothing ourselves with the things of God? Is your character a reflection of who you are in Jesus? Are you clothed with things that bring life to people? Or like my old clothes, uh, should they be consigned to history? How intentional are you with the sort of character you put on in the morning? As we run through the list, how many of them would describe you and how many of them would be in the could-try-harder column of life? Let's look at them again. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, Paul's not giving us a list of rules to obey. This isn't a checklist for us to go through when we wake up in the morning, right? Compassion, humility, put on kindness. As we grow in our faith, we should see an inclination towards these characteristics rise. As we look to display Jesus to one another and to the world around us, these are attributes that should just come from a proper understanding of who we are in Jesus. I'll give you a couple of examples. With compassion, Jesus had compassion on all those he came into contact with. He healed the sick, he won the lost, and eventually his compassion extended to all mankind on the cross when he defeated sin and death for you and me. With Jesus as our example, we should be moved to compassion. If our identity is in Jesus, then we should use Jesus as our example, and he should want us to move in compassion. Let's take another one. Humility is on the list. Those who know their identity in Christ know that their salvation has been won for them. It's nothing that you or I have done. It's the gift of salvation given to us, which means we've got nothing to boast in except in Christ. So humility should follow. That's why we should clothe ourselves with humility. We've got Jesus as our example, and we know that salvation is not of our own doing. This list could be so much longer, but Paul is using these characteristics as an example of what we should now see in our lives in direct contrast to the list that Matt Painter took us through last week. And if you go home later and look at 5 to 11, then 12 to 14, you can mirror them and see that they match up. Instead of greed, kindness, instead of anger and rage, patience and gentleness, it's a total reversal of morals. Our earthly natures 
brought death, but our heavenly natures bring life. And that's what we should be putting on. Again, patience is on the list. And when it's talking about patience, the Greek word there that's used to describe patience is a very specific one that means patience with people. So it's not patience waiting for a train. You're not clothing yourself with the patience to be able to get to work in the morning. This is all about dealing with people and how you interact with people. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're being called to put these things on. The Bible tells us time and time again that our pursuit as Christians should be towards holiness, towards godly character. There's a couple of verses coming up on the screen behind you that that tell you exactly that. In 1 Peter, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Romans 13 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The message of last week and the message of this week is repeated time and time again to the people of God. Pursue holiness. Put to death that which is not from God. Look for the fruit of Jesus in your lives. Put on the things of God and put to death anything that is not. So when we're talking about clothing ourselves in these things, we're specifically talking about people. Remember here, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and he's writing to a group of people. He's not writing to a church building. He's talking about the people of God. So this, these words that he writes for us this morning should affect our marriages, the way that we parent. It should affect our relationships because that's where the fruit is played out. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's incredibly hard to be humble when you're on your own. I'm uh, the most humble person in the room when I'm on my own. But uh, it's, it's in relationships where a lot of that's played out. In family life and with our friends, this, these verses are in the context of people and how we relate to one another. We're told to bear with one another, forgive one another, love one another. This is about people and relationships. You see, marriages that are full of patience and kindness bring the best out of both partners and reflect Jesus to those looking in on that marriage. Parenting from a place of compassion and patience creates children who know they are loved and who have the freedom to grow as they explore the world. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to do, isn't it? Because I feel especially like Sometimes the rest of the world can get the best of me. And then when I get home at the end of the day, I'm so tired and worn out that actually it's often those closest to me who, who get the worst of me because I feel like I've kind of got to the, the end of my tolerance for the day. Uh, this week, the, in fact, this time last Sunday, uh, I wasn't here. I was in my sister's bed throwing up, uh, which was lovely. Uh, the bug's gone right the way around the house. Uh, no sooner had I got better as uh, A-level results day came around. And I work at a university which means A-level results day is the busiest day of the year. So I went straight from being sick to working 13, 14, 15-hour days. Uh, So this week has tested me like no other as I've been preparing for this preach. How do I give the best of myself at home when I'm ill and I'm tired and I'm working all these hours? I'm not saying it's easy. It's, It's an incredible challenge for us. But we've still got to choose to put on the things of God. For the good of my marriage this week, I had to choose to put on the things of of God when talking to my wife, when I'm tired and I just want to sit down and things need doing. So that my kids know that I love them and I'm not prioritizing other people over them. So that I'm not angry with my children. I had to learn to put on the things of God even though I was tired. My family need me to put these things on even when it's tough because in that way I can display Jesus to them and we can bring out the best in each other. We need to actively choose to do it though. In those moments where we're ill and we're tired and it's tough, In those moments, we need to clothe ourselves. That's when we need to put it on. It is also about our relationships with one another as a church. One theologian put it this way. 
each of the five graces. That's the five things we're talking about this morning. Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. And the other one uh, is, what, is, what Peter, uh, is what Peter O'Brien's talking about here. He says, each of the five graces with which God's elect are to be clothed shows how Christians should behave in their dealing with others, particularly with fellow believers. Okay? So thinking about it in the context of church, as I said, church isn't this building that we come to. This, these, this bricks and mortar isn't the church. It's not what takes place every morning for, on a Sunday morning for 90 minutes, but it's the people. Ultimately, church is about people, and we together make up the church. It's us. And Paul's writing here is a good reminder of that. As one body, we're supposed to reflect Jesus to one another, to show all the qualities to one another that Paul talks about. I wonder, and I know that there are some visitors here, but do you feel a part of our community, or do you feel out on the edges? Because if, you're, if you would call yourself a member here, if you're a regular attender here at this church, we want you to feel like you belong here. We want you to feel like you're a part of this church community, that this is your home here with us. So let me take a minute to tell you about who we are. And this is, uh, this is our community. So we started 80-plus uh, years ago as Older Road Baptist Church. The site still stands there now. So for 80-plus years, there's been a congregation that is, is, is linked to this congregation that has been worshiping God. Ten years or so, uh, the church changed its name to Gateway Church. Matthew Hosier, who's the lead pastor here now, uh, came along and we saw some changes. And then about five years ago, we felt God call us to open a second site, a second congregation. So a few of us went to explore what that second congregation might look like. And we actually went down to Pool Key initially to go and start there. We met first in a fish and chip shop. It stank. Uh, the worst bit about that was my kids used to find old chips from the night before on the floor, put them in their mouth. Yeah, so we've done that. We then moved to a steakhouse. Then we moved to a hotel, then another church building before, uh, finally, a few years ago, the opportunity came to purchase this place so that we had a permanent home, which is something that we did as well. And that's when 502 came to be, and we've been joined by others, and this community's grown, and I'm so pleased to see that it has grown and is continuing to grow as well. When we planted here uh, a few years ago and became 502, uh, we did so with a church plant mentality. It was all of us in it together. We were here to dig in. We wanted to build something permanent for God's kingdom here in Poole and Bournemouth. That was our mentality. We were all in it together, all hands on deck. Uh, we, were, we were here to, to build something that we could, uh, we could see uh, uh, showing the kingdom of God to the people of Poole and the people around this area. We were here to, to, to display God's kingdom, to see uh, people come into this building and come to know Jesus. And we've been so pleased to actually see that happen. We've seen salvation come among us in the last few years as we've been meeting, which is brilliant. But we are still in that same fight. We're still in that same fight to see God's kingdom come here in Paul and Bournemouth. We're still in that same fight to, to see this church continue to grow, to see this church continue to flourish in spite of what's going on in the world around us. And actually, there's still a need for you and I to have that mentality when we come on a Sunday morning. We're here to dig in for the purposes of God together. We're here to take hold of that which we believe God's got for us. So if you're a member here, that's the ask. We want to still be in that mentality as we go together, as we, as we go and move into all the things that we feel that God's got for us. And there are a few ways that I want to just highlight that you can really do that, especially if you feel like you're on the periphery, you're on the edges. Here's a few ways in which I feel like you can come and help support this church, belong, become a part of this community, and help to see this church flourish. The first one is serving. If you're on the edges, nothing gets you in better than serving. You get to meet people. You get to come alongside other people. 
I sent an email a few weeks ago with three very specific areas uh, that we particularly need help with at the moment. We're actually getting around to rotor time. As we come to September, we're going to be putting new rotors together. These three areas won't be able to continue unless we get people signed up for them. So if you feel like you're on the edges and you've got a bit more capacity to serve, these are the areas that we need help. Please come and help us. Come and serve. Uh, come and be a part of this community and help uh, as we move into all the things we believe God, God's got for us. As we get into the new school term and into the new, uh, the new uh, academic year, uh, another way that you might be able to, to belong to this community is through life groups. Life groups run as a part of our, our church community. You might call them midweek groups or small groups or uh, something else in, a, in another setting. We call them life groups, but it's a chance to get in each other's lives and in each other's homes once a week. Uh, myself and my wife, Emma, and Gordon and Sandy Carter, Gordon's the other elder here at, at uh, 502, we're going to be leading the groups this term, and we would love to see our houses full. Give us problems. We want to run out of chairs. We would love to see uh, full houses and big communities, okay? So uh, please do uh, sign up for those life groups come September. Another thing that you might want to do is to explore membership. We're a church that believes in membership. We believe that we should come together as the people of God. We are a family of believers together. And we believe that that's best expressed through membership. So if, you want to, if you've been with us for a little while now uh, and you think you might want to explore membership, then come and talk to me at the end because we would love to see you become a member of this church as well. But there are ways in which we would love to help you feel like you belong to a part of this community. As we live our lives together as a part of the same church community, we're to reflect Jesus to one another. We're to be attractional for the gospel in the way that we interact with one another, the way we love one another. People should come into this building on a Sunday and think that there's something different about us. The fruits of a life lived with Jesus should be obvious for people to see. Those outside the church can very quickly see when our lives don't match up with what we're saying and what we're believing. We're here on a Sunday morning praising God and then using that same tongue to lie and gossip whilst we're at work in the week. Then it's very obvious. It's, it's the claim that's often laid at the Christian door of hypocrites, isn't it? Um, the fruit of your Christian identity should be clear for people to see. That's what Paul's saying here. It's also a very common theme in Paul's ministry. When writing uh, to, the, to the Galatians, Paul uses some very similar phrases. It's something that's known as the fruits of the Spirit. But let me read Galatians 5 for you quickly. Because Paul writes exactly the same thing to the Galatian church. He says, but the fruit, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, this is a common theme in Paul's letters. Whatever church he's writing to, he's keen to underline, these are the fruits of the Spirit that are now inside you. If this is your identity, if this is who you are in Jesus, these are the sorts of things that you should be seeing in your life. This is what Christianity looks like at the sharp end. When people see us as a community of believers, they should see self-control, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, peace, joy, and love. They should see it when they come into our community on a Sunday as well. So those are the things that we are to go on clothing ourselves with. If we know who we are in Jesus, we are to go on clothing ourselves by pursuing godly character, by putting these things on. Paul then goes on to write, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When Paul says bear with, what that, what that means is uh, he's saying put others before you. 
forbear, put up with, hold up, support, have something lean up against you, bear with. Building on what Paul said in the previous verse, we're not only to live out godly characteristics with one another, but we're to support one another, bear with one another in our faith as well. This is a community together, and we're able to help one another in pursuit of Jesus, even though sometimes it'll be hard. It's not a passive tolerance of others, by the way. We don't, as Christians, believe that we should walk in here on Sunday and passively tolerate one another for 90 minutes before going about our business with our real friends outside. Actually, this is a change of character and will that sees us displaying these characteristics to one another, genuinely loving one another. As a community, we're a church family. If you're a member here, then you're with us in celebration and sorrow. Even this summer, we've seen that played out. We've been able to celebrate weddings of people who have who have been married among us, uh, engagements of people who have got engaged with us. We've been able to celebrate new babies in this community. It's great to come together and celebrate. But we all know life is not without its challenges. And we also have sickness and death and struggle. And in those moments, I'm so grateful for a community of people who can bear with me. Now, if you don't know me, uh, then uh, you'll know, uh, you might not know that over the last couple of years, even myself, I feel like I've actually struggled a little bit more than I would normally. Uh, when I'm not preaching, I'm normally wearing straps on my arms. I currently have tendonitis. That means I can't really drive and I can't really pick up my kids properly. And it's all just a bit painful and a bit, uh, a bit weird. And to be honest, I've had those moments where I've been like, oh, I'm just done. I'm in pain and my arms don't work properly. And I'm just fed up and I'm just done with it all. Oh. And in those moments, I've honestly been so grateful for the, the support of this church community in praying for me when I ask for it, and even more unbelievably, praying for me when I don't ask for it. Just, just being able to hold me up and pray uh, even when I'm finding life a little bit tough. And that's, and that's, for me, so beautifully reflected what it is to be church community together. When Paul says here, bear with one another, there was no greater example for me than the way that people have, bear, have been bearing with me as I've been griping again. You know, I feel like sometimes I, when I have a moan about my arms, they're like, oh, here he is again. Oh, dear still going on about it, but people have been so gracious in continuing to pray with me and support me. And that's what being a church community is, is about. It's about coming alongside one another. It's about supporting one another, even when it's tough. See, we aren't all perfect, and at times we might even find that those closest to us, family and friends and people even in this building, might have a way of winding us up in a way that others just uh, don't quite have the, uh, have the ability to do. And that's where Paul starts to talk about forgiveness as well. He says, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Speaking about these verses, uh, C.J. Mahaney put it this way. He said, do not make hurt your final authority. Because hurt is a fact of life and hurt will come. And people will hurt you. Possibly even people in this room, I hope it doesn't happen. But actually, you know, it's a fact of life. We sin and we fall short of, of who we're supposed to be in God. And we can sometimes hurt one another. But as, as we're being reminded here, Jesus is our authority. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do we live out this sacrificial forgiveness, even if you've been through terrible things? And, and some people have been through genuinely terrible things. And how do you, how do you find forgiveness in, in those horrible, horrible things of life? Well, I believe Jesus gives us the mandate. You see, we've all benefited from God's forgiveness, and none of us can sit here this morning and say that we deserve to be forgiven. If we were to have a scroll, a list of all the things that we've ever done wrong, I don't think any of us could hand on heart, stand here, look at our scroll and say, yeah, that's not bad. I think I'm probably worth it. 
if we reflect on some of our worst moments of life, God forgave them all. Therefore, we know how to forgive because we know God forgave us in spite of everything we've done wrong. We weren't forgiven begrudgingly, but we were forgiven with open arms. And that should be the yardstick against which forgiveness is measured. Paul is telling us to forgive because we know what it's like to be forgiven. And it might be an ongoing battle for some, something we need to fight more than once as we continue to keep forgiving those people that we feel have hurt us. If this morning you're sat here and you're harboring unforgiveness, then this moment is for you. God's calling you out in this moment because unforgiveness is not in the vocabulary of the Christian, okay? If forgiveness was by merit, then we'd all be condemned to hell. And that's the truth of the matter. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's what we're being called to, and it's what Paul was calling the church to Colossae to, and it's what Paul is calling the church to this morning. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading about the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Now, Jim Elliot was part of a team of five that felt particularly called to share the gospel with a murderous tribe in the jungles of Ecuador. He heard about their story. This tribe in Ecuador uh, were murdering all of the tribes around them. And so much so was their lust for blood that they were actually dying out as a tribe because they kept murdering each other. So there was a real need to share the gospel with them because in a few years there might not be any of them left to share the gospel with. He was moved with compassion. So him and four friends, they got together and they started to figure out how are we going to share the gospel with this community? They'd started to do their research. They spoke to some other tribes around them, started to understand the behaviors of this tribe. What is it about them? How can we help them? What is it that we can do to share the gospel with them? And then finally, when they were ready, the five of them boarded a plane and they landed the plane on a beach near the jungle where they lived. No sooner had they set off, set foot uh, off the plane onto the sandy beach, were all five of them speared by the murderous tribe. That's it. They're done. Now, if you're Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, what do you do in that moment? If anybody had reason to harbor forgive unforgiveness, I'd have thought it would be Elizabeth Elliot. But moved by compassion, she, along with the other wives of the missionaries, on hearing the fate of their husbands, followed them into the jungle to evangelize with the tribe. The tribe ended up giving their lives to Jesus, and even today, the culture of that tribe has changed, and they're practicing Christians. If anybody had reason to harbor unforgiveness, it was Elizabeth Elliot. But when asked about this, she put it this way. To forgive is to die. It's to give up one's right to self which is precisely what Jesus requires of anybody who wants to be a disciple. You see, nobody said the Christian life would be easy. That's not in the Bible, I'm afraid, friends. Nobody said the day you become a Christian, that's it. It's all plain sailing from here. But as Christians, we know that we're here with a new purpose, to extend God's kingdom here on earth. And that means practicing what we preach and living our lives with a heavenly perspective of who we are. As we're risen with Christ and dead to our old life, we need to choose to put on the things of God, to put on compassion and forgiveness, and to actively choose to represent Jesus to others, even when it's tough. And so we're on to the final thing that Paul tells us to do. The final verse that we're looking at this morning, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As with the list of attributes Paul mentioned, we're not being told to love out of some sort of moral code or checklist, but we're being told to love out of our faith, 
We love because God so loved us that he gave his one and only son to forgive us so that we might be set free. We love because we're loved. Here, when Paul speaks about love, he's talking about the driver for all the other attributes that have been listed. We forgive because we love God and are instructed to love his people. We practice humility and kindness and compassion from a place of love. You'll also be very pleased to hear that this isn't romantic love. I'm not asking you to romantically love the person either side of you this morning. Uh, The original Greek word for love here that's used is the word agape. Agape. And when uh, the word agape is used, it talks about a love that seeks to put others before yourself. It's a charitable love, a goodwill love. It's a sacrificial love that goes beyond feeling and into doing. That's what that word agape means. So when it says, above all, put on love, it's talking about that kind of sacrificial love. And there's no greater example of that sacrificial love than what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. Jesus loved you so much, so much, that he was willing to be put to death. All of the sins of the world, everything that you have ever done wrong, was put onto him in that moment. He experienced abject pain and separation from God on your behalf so that you could be forgiven and set free, so that you could have a life with God now and forever. That's what that sacrificial love means in Jesus' context. He took it all on your behalf, not begrudgingly, but willingly, so that there would be no separation between you and God now and forever. That's an amazing sacrificial love that has been given for you, and it should cause us to want to praise and celebrate. And if you don't know Jesus, then that promise is for you this morning. Jesus, Jesus was put to death for everything you've ever done wrong so that you can have forgiveness and eternal life this morning. Sacrificial love means other things in other contexts as well. I'm so grateful for the work of so many here in our church community who practice that sacrificial love week after week after week in small ways and in big. Anita and her team do some fantastic work with the Parkstone International Cafe where they come here, give up their time to help internationals uh, learn to speak English, to build a community of internationals here when they might be thousands and thousands of miles from home. I tell you, that takes sacrifice. We have people who go into a local refuge and help befriend people who really need a friend and really need help and support, and they give up their time, and they, and they care for these women and, and guys in there. They, they, they take the time to get to know them and properly know them and, and get into their lives and help support them. That's a sacrificial love. They don't need to do that. They could be sat at home, but they go out and do it. And in those things, they reflect Jesus to those people. I'm really grateful for the ways that people serve where they... Where they do, do so in a sacrificial way. And that's the sort of love that Paul is talking about here. How are you at showing that kind of love to others as well? You know, Jesus actually said the same thing to us uh, in John 13. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, as well as these attributes listed by Paul were to put on love, to understand how loved we are by our Father, and to understand that we have a mandate from Jesus to love others in the same way. In the way that we interact with and support one another, we're showing God's love to another and to the world. Loving sacrificially through service means putting others first. So I'm going to invite Dan and the band to come back and join us, and we're going to start to think about uh, uh, how to respond to what Paul's written here for us this morning. 
as I said earlier, this is an active faith, and we have to actively choose to do the things that Paul is talking about this morning. We have to actively clothe ourselves with them and to go on clothing ourselves with them. So our response to this message should be active as well. If someone looked at you and looked at your life, would they see Christ reflected in you? Do you see the fruit of Christ in your life? Are you harboring unforgiveness? Do you need to forgive somebody this morning? We're going to come and take communion soon. And as we do so, we should be coming to the table uh, in that knowing that we've been forgiven, which means that we should also be free from unforgiveness as we come to the table. If you're harboring unforgiveness, then please, before you take communion, sort it out. Do you need to become a more active member of this church body? Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, the community of people together who are supposed to be together on this journey together, loving together, living together, displaying Jesus to one another and to the world. Come and serve and become a member and join life groups and get actively involved in this church. Serve in the context that you're in. Understand what it's like to sacrificially serve people at work or at home with your neighbors. I believe this morning God would have us respond in many ways and it's going to be different for each one of us. We're going to come to communion in a bit, so now's a chance to examine your heart. As we come back to worship, let's examine our hearts. Let's truly answer some of those questions. And when we come to take communion a little bit later on, knowing that we've been forgiven, well, we haven't always been walking as Jesus would have us walk. There's forgiveness for that this morning as well. Let me pray. Ah, oh, thank, so, thank you so much. You loved us so much, Lord, that you went to the cross. You died in our place. You took on all the things that we've done wrong and you exchanged our filthy rags for your perfect white spotless clothes. Lord, we believe it. We're so grateful for it. Thank you for your perfect example. Jesus, you've given us so much cause to praise. Our eternities, our lives have been changed forever because of who you are and what you've done. We're so grateful for it, Lord. And help us to remind us of that every morning when we clothe ourselves with physical clothes. I pray you'd help us to clothe ourselves with those spiritual clothes. Clothe ourselves with those things that mean we're uh, reflecting you to the world around us. Lord Jesus, come upon us and help us, I pray, in your name. Amen.